Let's read God's word together. Let's, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Um, we, Tom guided us through the first four verses, stepping in wonderfully last week for me last week. And uh, we start at verse 5. Romans 8 verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the na- that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. So to start with this morning, here are two stories. There was once a scorpion who needed to cross a river. Being unable to swim, he asked a frog to carry him across. The frog looked wary. How do I know that you won't sting me, he asked. Don't be silly, said the scorpion. If I sting you midstream, you'll die and I'll drown. It's not in my interests. Well, okay, said the frog, and off they set. Halfway across the stream, the frog felt an excruciating pain in its back and immediately started to feel his life ebbing away. You've stung me, he cried. What did you do that for? You're going to drown now. To which the scorpion replied with a shrug, I couldn't help it. It's in my nature. Second story. Well, there once was an ugly duckling. Its feathers all stubby and brown. You know how it goes. You know how everywhere he went he was told, quack. Get out of town. So he went with a sigh and a waddle and a quack and a flurry of eider down. And you know how all through the winter time he hid himself away in that lonely clump of weeds, afraid of what others might think, afraid of what others might say all through the winter time. 
until a flock of swans spied him there and very soon agreed, you're a very fine swan indeed. So which are you, scorpion or swan? As Christians, we know it is better for all concerned, including ourselves, if we obey God, but our desires, our natural reactions and the pressure of the world around seem so great that again and again we do the opposite. And like the scorpion, we say, I can't help it. It's in my nature. It's what the man in Romans 7 seemed to say. You remember him? We were uh, left at the end of Romans 7 earlier in the summer. And you remember we looked at all the possibilities of who this man is when he says, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Uh, but the thing about that, we all know how that feels. We all identify with that. But the thing about Romans 7 is that it is followed by Romans 8, when Paul says, no, actually, that may be how we feel, but it's not the reality. It's not the truth. But what about the ugly duckling? What's the secret behind the turnaround in the ugly duckling's life? Was it posting hilarious TikToks? Or an active Instagram account, perhaps? Was it hypnotherapy? Or a self-assertion course? Or did he just shell out for expensive plastic surgery? Well, no. As far as we know, he did none of those things. Actually, he simply grew into what God had made him. He'd been a swan all along. That was his DNA. He just didn't realize it. And the truth is, many Christians suffer from ugly duckling syndrome. We simply do not realize who God has made us. And we go through life with low expectations. We're ashamed of our failures and, yes, seemingly destined to go on repeating them. But Romans 8 is here to tell all of us who truly belong to Christ that we are different. Why? Because we have God's spirit in us. Paul continues from verse 4. Which uh, Tom looked out last week. uh, uh, In order that the righteous requirements of the law. Remember he started off there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he talks about the righteous requirements of the law. That they might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the sinful nature. But according to the Spirit, God's purpose in sending Jesus was not only to find a way of forgiving our sin, though it was certainly that, but more than that, it was to enable us to live as God wants us to live. And this in turn answers the objection of, uh, in chapter 6, you might remember, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? In other words, if we're saved through faith in Christ, not by works, as Paul has insisted throughout Romans, can't we just go on sinning and being forgiven and sinning and being forgiven so that, so that grace just, just increases? Well, no, says Paul, because to go on sinning is no longer in our nature. 
It's not what we've been remade for, recreated for. It may feel like that. We may feel like Romans 7 man. We may feel like the scorpion. But we're not scorpions. We're swans. And so we have in verses uh, verses 5 to 8, we have two creatures compared. Uh, We can think of them as scorpions or swans. Two categories of people. Those who live according to the sinful nature. Those who live according to the spirit. And Paul makes four points about the differences between these two groups. The the groups have different preoccupations, verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Um, We are motivated by different things. The person living according to the Spirit wants to serve God, to please God. We have different mindsets, verse 6. The mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Different mindsets with different consequences, death or life and peace. We have different attitudes to God, verse 7. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. It doesn't want to listen to the one who knows best. And then we have different wills, verse um, Verse 8, uh, those, con- uh, those controlled, sorry, that's verse 7 too. It does not uh, submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. This is the nub of Paul's argument. But there is another group, these, those who walk in accordance with the Spirit. If you belong to Christ, says Paul, There's a difference. You have the spirit. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. He's writing to these people who have put their trust in Jesus. And he says, um, if the spirit of God is in you, this is true of you. And if you don't have the spirit of God, you're not actually a Christian. All Christians have the spirit of God in us. And that makes a difference. He rams home his point to his readers You're controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. Therefore, you can please God. You can make progress. Indeed, he says, we have an obligation to do this. We are debtors, he says, actually, verses 12 to 14. And this means putting to death the things that don't belong to this new realm, the misdeeds of the body, as he calls them. Don't learn to live with your sin Cut it out. Don't give up that fight. You can do it because you have the Spirit of God living in you. And that should make a difference. Just a couple of things to note before we proceed about this. If you're reading this in the uh, newer version of the NIV, um, it talks about those who live according to the flesh rather than those who live according to the sinful nature. That's actually... uh, a more exact rendering of the Greek word there. It does literally mean flesh. But the reason why the, NI, the earlier NIV went with sinful nature is because Paul doesn't mean our physical bodies as if our physical bodies were in themselves evil. He means the old way of operating apart from God's spirit, that principle of sin that drags us down. 
Our flesh here is our sinful nature. It's our pride and our selfishness that wants to put ourselves first instead of God. And the second thing to note uh, here is that uh, it's striking, isn't it? Paul makes such a very clear distinction between these two groups of people and uh, that might uh, cause us some problems, really. Does it mean that someone who is not a believer... Someone who does not have the Spirit of God. Does it mean that everything they do is terrible? Does it mean that no one who is not a Christian can ever do anything that is good or loving or kind or even godly in line with God's kingdom? Now, I'm sure we all know people who aren't believers who do often reflect the image of God in their lives, perhaps even better than we do. They're capable of noble acts and noble deeds. I think that's true. But, you know, as, a, as, mar, as admirable as they may be, none of us naturally, without God's spirit, aim our lives to please God. And that's the bottom line here. None of us can consistently maintain that standard. And that's the whole problem. Paul has outlined in this letter, none are righteous. No, not one. And if we're honest, we also know that we believers, who we, even with God's spirit in us, we still get dragged down, don't we, by our sinful nature? We certainly do. And I know for a fact there are definitely unbelievers who are nicer and kinder and more loving than I am. But I'm pretty certain of this. I'm pretty certain that for myself, having God's spirit in me, that means there is more of a pull towards being loving and generous in me than there would be without the spirit in me. So if you compare where I would be without the spirit, that would be the difference. And that's Paul's major point here. We have the Spirit of God in us. And that makes a huge difference. Our bodies are still subject to the decaying effects of the fall. That's, I think, what Paul means when he says, your body is dead because of sin. I think we we still have that principle of death working in us. And uh, um, as we get older, that comes more and more to the fore. But there's a new principle of life inside us where the principle of death pulls us down that principle of life is pulling us up and actually that's stronger and it's nothing less than the spirit of god it's nothing less said paul than the spirit of him who raised christ from the dead verse 11 which is an astonishing thought isn't it that same power at work in us The spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead. The spirit will give life to our mortal bodies in the future. We know that when Christ returns, he'll raise us up beyond the grave in new glorious resurrection bodies. But that spirit also enables us to put to death the misdeeds of the body now. As he says in verse 13, he enables us to live as God intended. True life, loving God and loving others. Because, verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, I'm not saying that make, means overcoming sin is, is just a walk in the park or it's easy or we're never beset by troubles or temptations. We're never dragged down, that we never fail. You know that's not the case. I know that's not the case. 
But we do have to take Paul seriously. God's word here tells us we have the spirit in us. That means that battle is worth fighting because that battle is winnable for us. Not completely until Christ returns, but we can make progress in godliness now. And it's the devil who lies to us to tell us the opposite, to get us to give up and to continue to live as scorpions even though God has made us swans. And so he goes on. Verses 15 to 17. This, the spirit that we have, it is the spirit of sonship. It is, if you like, the father's signature. Get it? We were talking about swans. The father's signature. This is God writing his name on us and in us to show that we're his. We have his seal. The spirit is his seal of ownership on us. God has adopted us. As sons. Now, if you're female and you struggle with that language, well, I can understand why you might struggle. But firstly, please bear in mind that men too, Christian men, do sometimes struggle with the concept of the church as the bride of Christ. So, you know, it does work the other way as well. But in Paul's world, the reality was that sons, especially firstborn sons, had legal rights to inherit their father's estates in ways that, I'm afraid, daughters simply didn't have. Now, of course, in Christ, there is absolutely no difference between the inheritance rights of male believers or female believers. There's no difference in his love or delight towards us. There is no difference in our rights to inherit. So if we hear that, we hear that, that use of the word sons there in the context of that Greco-Roman world in which Paul was operating. And we realize it actually goes a lot deeper than just calling us children because it's about uh, rights of inheritance. But when you consider this, that he has adopted us, this is staggering. We were his enemies, we've been told earlier in this letter. And now he's adopted us as his sons. The spirit inside us, being the spirit of Christ, is the spirit of sonship. Remember when Jesus was baptized? You remember how God's voice from heaven was heard? This is my son whom I love. In him I take great delight. That's the spirit of Christ's sonship. That is the same spirit that we have. Which means that here we stand. All who truly believe and follow Christ. We stand in Christ. And by the spirit. We can hear those very same words spoken over us. You are my son whom I love. In you. I take great delight. This is astonishing. I have no words to describe this. That God delights in us as his children, his sons. And as we hear those words, we who are truly Christian, don't we 
don't we sense the spirit inside us responding? Don't we hear that, that voice, Abba? That's the Hebrew or the Aramaic word for the intimacy of a child to their father. Daddy. Dad. Can you hear him? Can you hear the spirit prompting that inside you? Do you know that delight? If you don't, if you've never sensed that, well, maybe that means you've never truly turned to him and thrown yourself on him. Maybe there are other, maybe you have done that, but there are other issues at work too, and it's worth talking about that with someone. Come and talk with me by all means. The delight of knowing God as our Father. You know, those of us with children, they may do all sorts of things to give us delight. But what do they have to do to earn our love? What do they have to do to make us delight in them? Absolutely nothing. They have to do absolutely nothing. They just have to be. And we're delighted with them. We just have to bring them to mind. And we're filled with delight. The same with us and God. Well, it's more. It's more because we're failed and flawed as, as parents. And we do put expectations on our children and we do color them with those. But, but God, no. He just delights in us. He's given us new life in Christ. And now we don't have to earn his favor. We just have to stand in Christ. You know, we've uh, lost my mum just in recent weeks. And uh, I just reflect on that, of course. And, uh, you know, the last couple of two or three years with mum, carrying out a conversation with her was very, very difficult. She really had gone past the stage of being able to even perhaps string one or two intelligible words together. It was difficult in that sense, uh, spending time with her to, to find things to talk about. But, you know, when we used to go and see her, one thing remained the same. That as soon as she saw us, her face just lit up with this beaming smile. It's amazing. She just knew who we were and she delighted in that. I know some people's parents get beyond even that and that's really, really sad and hard. But that was still there with our mum. But here's the thing. When I think of her face lighting up like that, do you imagine God doing the same when he brings you to mind? Of course, you're always on his mind, but you know what I mean. Imagine God's face lighting up. Stuart, Paul, Clive. I'm particularly fond of Clive and Stuart and Paul. I delight in them. Imagine him. Imagine his beaming face as he looks at you. Imagine his excitement when we actually lay aside other time and come to him and seek his face. It's astonishing. We have his spirit of sonship. But this does also mean we don't have to kowtow to our sinful desires, to our ungodly appetites, 
because of who he's made us. We can hold our heads up. We can look these things in the eye and say, such things are not worthy of me. I am a son of God. God's son and heir. And this new principle, this life in the spirit, is based on this relationship of sonship. And it is wonderful. Sons and heirs. That's what he says in verse 17. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Just in case this tempts us into thinking that you know, Christian life is uh, one triumphalistic parade where nothing goes wrong and everything is glorious. It's all about victory and obvious fruitfulness and answered prayer with no trials or sickness. Paul reminds us of the pathway of our older brother, Christ. Seated in glory now, yes, but the path to glory was the path of the cross. The road of suffering. And if we expect to inherit with him, to share his glory, no less, which is what Paul says, and which would be an outrageous statement were it not in God's words. If we expect to share in his glory, then we too should expect to share in his suffering in some way. There will be trials, hardships. Overcoming temptation is not straightforward or easy. There will be opportunities for God to refine his gold in us. Opportunities to allow his true worth to be seen as we cling to him despite the hard times. But still, what Paul is talking about here is a whole new demonstration, uh, a whole new dimension. Life according to the Spirit. It is not about a plodding obedience to some dry as dust rule book. It's a relationship whereby we are given all the resources of God Himself to fulfill His law, to live in a way that pleases Him, in a way that reflects His eternal character we're his sons after all we should bear the family likeness isn't it it's always struck me this morning how funny it is that we're always so surprised when we see the likeness of uh, a, a parent in the child oh look he really looks like you as if you know of course why wouldn't they of course it's particularly delightful if uh, for the parent it's perhaps not quite always so delightful for the child to see that in themselves But uh, we bear the family likeness. We should do. So we have to understand this. If we have put our trust in Jesus, then we are swans. We have the Spirit of God in us. What a glorious privilege. And what 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 a responsibility. Because we have no excuse for living as if this were not so. We should not get comfortable with a low level of Christian existence and give up our fight against sin or settle for an inconsistent lifestyle. This is not what God has saved us for. In Shakespeare's play, Henry Henry IV, part one, we come across the king's son, Prince Hal. He's the heir. He's going to be king one day. One day he's going to be Henry V of Agincourt fame. And in Henry V, by the time we get there, this guy's a real hero. He's uh, noble, he's brave, but he's also kindly. But at the start of Henry IV, he's uh, completely different. He's a complete waster. He spends all his time hanging out with drunkards. He drinks, he gambles, he plays silly tricks on people. That's his life. But as the play goes on, he begins to realize that one day he will be king. And as he reflects on this, he realizes how in 
incongruous his present lifestyle is. And so he changes bit by bit. He distances himself from bad influences and he starts to live up to the person he is, the king's heir. Now, friends, that's who we are. We're the king's heirs. And that same realization should be happening to us. Heirs to the great king. We should be living like princes. Lives that are consistent with who we are. Not trying to attain to something we're not. We could never do that. But living out who we are in Christ. Not scorpions, but swans. That's the transformative power that only the gospel can bring. To run and work, the Lord commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. But better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. Let's pray. Father God, this is, this is mountaintop stuff. We stand, we stand here and we just want to gulp down, uh, breaths of this wonderful uh, atmosphere of being your children, having your spirit, being your sons, knowing your spirit in us, crying out, Abba, Father, there's nothing more precious. Father, the truth is we don't live on the mountaintop, we live in the back down in the valley where life is hard and tough. But Father, we still have your spirit there. I want to pray that through this week we will, we will hold on to this. We will have frequent thoughts of Christ and our relationship to him. And that you will fill us with power. So that as we consider our lives before you, we can say no to the things that are ungodly. We can say yes to the things that move us in the right direction. And Father, if there's anyone here who just hears this and is attracted to this but just does not know the reality. Lord, give them faith to trust in Christ. Help them to find someone to talk to. Lord, they can come and talk to me or anyone else here. But we pray that you will just open their eyes to the glories of Christ. And they too will be saved. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.